Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Welcome to Sport Faith Life. After our previous podcast, which was centered on Tim Tebow's potential comeback, we got a fascinating response from a listener who experienced Tim Tebow and his keynote addresses at the Second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity in 2019. But him being from Northern Ireland, he couldn't quite figure out what all the fuss was about. That listener was Drew Gibson, a pastor and professor of practical theology at Union Theological College in Belfast. When we got his note, we quickly reached out and he agreed to join us on our podcast. We're excited to talk to him, so let's get started. We're so excited to have Drew Gibson with us today here to talk more about Tim Tebow. Session two here about Tim Tebow and uh, the issues surrounding his potential, I know it sounds heretical, potential incarnation. But Drew, we're, we're excited to have you today. And uh, the first question for you is, uh, tell us a little bit about sport in your life. Yeah, I, I'm a classic example, I suppose, of um, somebody who in, has enjoyed sport enormously over the years um, as as a player. And only in recent years, uh, as I've grown older, uh, I've watched more sport. But I've never been particularly good at any sport. So I could run through 20 sports that I've played and enjoyed uh, over the years. The two that I've played and enjoyed most are soccer and rugby and uh, when I finished playing soccer when I was about 40 early 40s I took up refereeing and refereed for a few years and if I had known when I was 20 how good refereeing would be I would have taken it up at 20 it was it was just a blast Hmm. so played a lot but not to any level and refereeing, that, that's really interesting. So you also mentioned uh, soccer and rugby. Is uh, I imagine, I, I think I've been told rugby is a low-class game played by gentlemen, and soccer is a gentleman's game played by the low-class. So you, you're both, both of those then, right? If yeah, yeah, I, I, I cross the class divide. That's that's me exactly. <laughs> I think when I was growing up, a, a lot of kids w- would have done what I did. Uh, I played rugby for school in the morning and then played uh, soccer in the afternoon on a Saturday. Played soccer in the afternoon uh, for a local team, and then played uh, tennis or badminton or squash in the evening uh, at, at the uh, the local youth club. Sounds like a wonderful childhood. Hey, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about faith in your life. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian family. Um, I'm Presbyterian, and uh, when I was maybe thirteen. I moved into a personal commitment uh, of my life to, to Christ at a, at a summer camp. And I've been doing my best to walk with Jesus uh, ever since then. That's uh, 50 years ago or, or, or thereabouts. Um, I uh, My faith is central to me. It, it, it simply is. It's, it's the core identity of who I am. Um, if you'd allow me to wander for a second, I'd have a survey in a uh, graveyard, in a cemetery, a number of years ago. 
uh, about how many people had sporting logos on their headstones. And uh, there were actually quite a number. And as I looked around that, I thought, oh, that's that's just so sad because sport can't identify who you are. It just can't be the core of who you are. So Jesus is, is the core of, of who I am. Um, when I was in my late teens, I knew that Jesus was calling me to be a minister, a Presbyterian minister. Uh, I said really quite firmly, Lord, I think you've got that wrong. <laughs> and uh, uh, he didn't agree with me, let's put it like that. Uh, so by a, a slightly circuitous route, I became a Presbyterian minister uh, early in 1980 and uh, worked for uh, a few years in a couple of local congregations, then in East Africa with my wife for six years, then back to the UK into uh, uh, teaching, uh, theological teaching. Well, Drew, I know a little bit more about you now. Uh, you like to wander around in, in graveyards. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Um, I'm actually wife, a little disappointed. Go ahead. Yeah, my wife still talks about the the time when we were we were still courting, and I was preaching in a in a local congregation. And after lunch, we went for a walk. And yes, it was around a graveyard. It was interesting for me, but she still managed to marry me uh, after that. Bless her soul. Yeah, I, I usually save the gra- graveyard for my second or third date. Uh, you know, I don't <laughs> lead with that, uh, but uh, you know, I'll take my tips from you, Drew. Yeah, well, there uh, you go. <laughs> also, just a, a bit disappointed. I did wander around, you know, your webpage, and it uh-huh. mentioned, you know, enjoying playing bad golf, but you stuck with, uh, you know, soccer and rugby. Tell me about your golf game. Yeah, I, I do play dreadfully bad golf. Uh, I started Excellent. playing when I was about. Uh, oh, 21, 22, um, just casually. Didn't have any lessons until about uh, five or six years ago, by which time it was too late. Uh, if I play 18 holes, if I get round and under, under 100, I'm just a very happy boy. But it's a great walk with a couple of friends and uh, can't argue with it. It's certainly a good walk spoiled for, for many of us, right? And uh, so I wonder, is there something, one other thing, right? So we always ask, uh, what's what's something about Drew that's maybe a bit more obscure, maybe unknown? Uh, how could our listeners get to know you a little better? Uh, one, one particular thing about your life. Oh, goodness, my life is an open book. Um, I enjoy cooking. And I've recently taken up baking. And I'm about to retire, so my wife can look forward to gourmet meals and very fattening desserts for the rest of her life. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, I wonder, you know, I just want to tell our listeners that, you know, Drew was not on the schedule for uh, for podcasts, but he worked his way to the front of the line by writing, you know, writing us with a with a pretty substantial review. One star. I think we you, know, he, <laughs> you can get on a lot faster if you give us a five star review. But uh, <laughs> we we want we bumped him to the front of the line because last time we talked about uh, Tim Tebow and his attempt to return to the NFL. And Drew started by uh, uh, just letting us know his perspective from across the big pond on on who Tim Tebow is. It's certainly to him. 
but also some perspectives on that. I wonder if you could summarize uh, the opening of that conversation, and then we'll we'll sort of continue it. Well, if I could maybe give a little bit of background, uh, I've been teaching theology for a lot of years, and I teach practical theology. And so I believe there is no area of life that we can't think about theologically. Everything has to be thought about with a robust theology. Um, and uh, I was at the Global Congress on, on Christianity and Sport in 2019 in Grand Rapids. And uh, as at one of the sessions, there was this uh, young man called Tim Tebow, whom everybody knew and everybody seemed to adore, but I had never actually heard of him. Mm. And uh, very few people on this side of the Atlantic had, had ever heard of him. And so I, I listened with real interest to, to what he had to say, both in the uh, open session with lots of um, high school kids and also in the more theologically re reflective uh, session. And then when I heard last week's podcast and heard that he was making a bit of a, a comeback into the NFL, I thought, wait, let, let me think a little bit more about that. Um, my special research interest actually is theology and sport. And so I thought, let me think a bit more about that. And I could only guess at his motivation. I could only guess at the context. Uh, hence the reason why I, I wrote to you guys with a few random thoughts uh, on, on what was going on uh, in this. And, and they are simply random thoughts. I could make some comparisons with some things that happened at this side of the um, uh, Atlantic. But uh, yeah, speaking out of ignorance, but the ignorance of somebody who likes to think theologically about everything. It's a good kind of ignorance. And uh, we certainly appreciate the, the curiosity there. It's, you know, Tim Tebow is a quintessential American sports hero. And, and that was part of, you know, the, the flavor of the second Congress that uh, it's being held in the U.S. So we'll bring in a U.S. sports star. Um, which leaves uh, the folks that came from from other nations, um, you know, guessing a bit as to who this guy is and, and what he represents. I'm, I'm just curious then, as you heard him talk and as you maybe found out a little bit about him, you know, what what struck you about this character Tim Tebow? And maybe maybe it's it's more systemic. What struck you then about American football and its its structure and the, the idolatry of a of a quarterback, a player that's sort of the, the key to every team he's played on? Yeah, they. I, he came across well to me. I have to say, I I, I warmed to him. Um, although the the first talk that he gave to all of the high school students, I thought, now theologically, Christianly, if you like, that's really pretty superficial, uh, and I, I I didn't warm to that. But I now understand the context for that and the limitations of what folk can say in a school context in the United States, and there are limitations. So I, I get that now. Um, I also get the idea of somebody who's a, a cultural hero and a, a, a Christian cultural hero. And in the discussion afterwards, in, in the closed session, um, he just seemed to be saying sensible things. Uh, again, the third thing that I would say is I know he's not a trained theologian. And therefore, for me to expect him to um, say theologically deep things is just uh, inappropriate. But that's where 
um, the three of us get paid. That's what we get paid to do, to, to think theologically. Um, and actually, with his potential return to the NFL, one of the things that I would hope that he would have in his support is somebody who will think theologically with him about what's going on because it could be fabulous. It could be a um, Cinderella story, if I can use that, or it could all go pear-shaped. It could be disastrous, and he needs somebody to be walking with him pastorally and and theologically uh, through that. Um, Yeah, I think your, your desire for applied, practical, deep thinking theology um, is ours, right? We we continue to sort of engage in this thing called sport, and we encounter it from lots of different directions. Uh, the participants in sport uh, often are not thinking that way at all, right? They're not thinking about sport from any kind of theological perspective, even if they may have Christian commitments or uh, any kind of religious commitments. It's just not a natural thing to apply those sorts of thoughts to sport. And that's what we're, we're realizing as well as we engage in this. So one of the things that you sort of um, set up as your one of your daily tasks is to think about a coherent theological approach to sport. And, and I'm wondering if you could, I think our audience would benefit from just a little bit of background on just in general, how a theologian would approach uh, sport. What are some of the questions that are helpful to ask? Um, we'll return back to, to Tim Tebow because I think that's a lively conversation. But I wonder if you could just give us a maybe a Theology 101 uh, and then bring it down to sport a bit for us. Yeah, well, as a practical theologian, I have a certain structure to, to my thinking. And that is, in life, we meet situations. And a situation is basically anything that, that you come across in life. For a pastor, it might be a knock comes to the door. Someone comes in who says, I've just been to the doctor uh, and I've had this dreadful um, uh, verdict on my health. Well, as a pastor, you have to respond to that and you respond theologically. But it may also be that as a father, I have, I have two uh, adult daughters. It may be that as a father, you know, one of them comes to me in, in tears because of something that has been said um, or something that has happened online, and I have to respond to that theologically uh, as, a, as a father. So the structure that I have is step one, see what's going on and see it well. Ask good questions so that you know exactly what's going on. Step two, look at it under the surface. What are the hidden things that you don't see? Are you seeing things from every perspective? Step three, what has Scripture got to say about this? And Scripture interpreted in the light of our, our 2,000 years of, of church history and then theo- with theological perspectives from around the world. And then step four is to work out realistically what my first practical step is going to be at this stage. And then you take that step and then you start the circle again. You keep going around that, that circle. So for, for theological reflection on sport, um, if I can just 
jump into step three on the, on the theology, I would see the classic understanding of sport, as, as I'm sure you're aware, is that we have um, relaxing activity, play. And when play becomes a bit more organized, it becomes a game. And when games become more organized and you have leagues and, and so on, it becomes a sport. My problem with contemporary sport is that it actually moves on beyond that. Now, when it moves on beyond that, somebody can then move into work. So you have professional sports people uh, like Thibaut and, and, and many others. And if it's their work, well, then it's moved into a different category. It's no longer a restful activity. It's actually work and they get paid for it. And that's fine. That's great. I have no problem with that. My big problem is with uh, amateur sport, particularly sport in schools, um, which to me theologically too often crosses that line between restful activity that reinvigorates people and work, which actually breaks them and puts pressure on them that they find so difficult to, to cope with. Uh, so theologically, sport really ought to be rest unless you're doing it as paid work, in which case it, it can be work. Um, the other thing about sport theologically is that sport is an empty thing. Um, it has no meaning. Uh, if you think about it like this, you think about, uh, about um, football or, or rugby, once you cross that white line, you can do things to another human being that would get you arrested if you did them uh, in a high street. You can thump that person. You can wrestle them to the ground, all sorts of things. So it takes you into a different world. And so uh, as a theologian and for every Christian sports person, I'm wanting to say when you go into that different world, you can't leave your faith behind. You've got to bring that faith with you into the the fabric of, of, of how you play that game and allow that game to be restful, refreshing, but also glorifying to Jesus so that when you... Uh, when the final whistle blows or when you sink the last putt on the 18th green or the, the, the hooter goes and, uh, and the last basket has been, what do you do with a basket? Do you score a basket? Score a basket. How dreadfully ignorant I am. When the last basket <laughs> has been scored, <laughs> anybody who's been watching you will say, you know, there's something about the way he plays or, or she plays. It's not just not quite the same as everybody else I wonder what that is and that really ought to be a little bit of Jesus shining through in, in the fabric of, of how I play again, whether it's professional, amateur um, quality golf played by um, uh, uh, any of the professionals or Duffer's golf like me, should be just something a wee bit of, of Jesus showing through in that So if we're going to be talking about uh, contact sports like, you know, football or rugby today, it's interesting what, what you said, you know, we should be playing sport and, and it should be restful and refreshing. I, I would, I would guess that it would be pretty hard pressed to find 
many football players or rugby players who at the end of their match would say, I, I really f- I feel refreshed, right? That's not generally a feeling that one gets from a, a contact sport, a violent sport, yeah. an aggressive sport like those two. Yeah. Uh, certainly a, a fan's experience could be very different. Yeah. And so I, I think there's something there from a practical theological perspective that's interesting to, for us to dive into. I also think mm-hmm. Uh, what you mentioned about seeing an athlete who does things differently, where you can you can watch that person and say, that person's different, and there's something to that person. In my experience is watching sport, um, at, at times I've, I've been able to identify, as others have, of course, that there are certain athletes that um, who are Christians, and you identify that that's the difference. That there's there's a deeper meaning, there's a there's a spirit to that person that is distinctly yeah. Christian. But there are other athletes who play and exhibit great joy that's uh, in many ways different from their peers. And so sometimes it's just sort of something has to do with the charisma of the particular athlete that may or may not be be Christian. You know, Tim Tebow steps into that space where a lot of people have watched and have said that guy has a particular fervor to him that's just different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet he's playing the sport that is uh, inherently not restful or relaxing or refreshing. In fact, it's the opposite. What would a practical theologian respond with? Yeah, I I, I wouldn't see it quite like that. Um, Well, if you're making two points, let me me take um, the the first one first, which is the non-Christian athlete who who displays all sorts of good things. Um, My theology talks quite clearly about common grace about the good things that God does in people who are not Christians. And we all know there are many just delightful people, and there are people who who play sport with honor and courage and flair and so on. And I would look at somebody like that and say, well, thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given to to that person. It's when the person uh, starts to talk about their sport, that's when I think things should become clear. How a Christian talks about sport either as a fan or as a player, that I think should be fundamentally different uh, from from everyone else. Um, if I can come to the idea of rest, I, I think back to the days when I was playing rugby. This is after I left school uh, and university uh, and playing rugby uh, as an adult. I remember sitting and uh, watching a movie on Saturday nights. It happened regularly. And uh, I'm watching the movie and I'm thinking, boy, my shoulders are sore. And I can feel the scratches and scrapes and bruises. And I used to wear tape around my head, you know, and and uh, I'd pull the tape off and, and it was a bit raw. And sitting watching the movie, feeling this pain and thinking, this is fantastic. This is a good pain. I enjoy this pain. And it, it wasn't a... Um, a, a sort of masochistic thing, but it was just, I've done something great. Um, and that was sending me back into my work. Um, well, it was as, as a student um, at that time, sending me back to my studies. It was actually refreshed because I, I'd, I'd spent a couple of hours not sitting at a desk and not working through Greek verbs uh, as a theology student and uh, not preparing sermons. I'd, I'd had this blast for a couple of hours that left me physically tired, but emotionally refreshed. And I think that that's the difference that, that, that I, I would see. Uh, contact sports, 
you're right. I, I think there's a fine line to be drawn there between appropriate aggression and uh, inappropriate oppression. Uh, and Christians have to be making a, a clear distinction between the two. Uh, in in um, ball games, the object is to touch that uh, ball down, uh, to put that ball through the hoop, to see the ball bulge the back of the net. Um, and being aggressive towards the opposition is a means of doing that. So I would see a little bit of a difference between those aggressive sports and uh, maybe boxing, which I would maybe have a bit more of a problem with because you actually are trying to hurt someone. And I realize there are all sorts of caveats to that, but I, I would have a bit more of a problem with that theologically. Yeah, I really, I like the way that you're leaving space for some interpretation with each of these, right? You are, you're saying, without specifically saying what it might be, you'd like to see something in the Christian that participates in sport, but we're not really sure what that is. In fact, that has been the quest in many ways to determine, and I fully agree that when you step inside the lines, it is a bit of play acting. It is another space, right? And you're doing things, as you said, that could get you arrested in another environment. So clearly, we have to figure out another way of talking about it. And it's been really difficult when people don't uh, think about it that way and they want to engage it as if it's not a game. Mm. Uh, and so I think what we're trying to do theologically is consider the, what that space is and how that space works. I, to me, um, the easy answers are, are really just not there. When we I, think about uh, sport, I also I love the the way that we brought in this idea that rest is not necessarily stillness. Um, so there's this I've heard it described as kind of this delicious exhaustion. You get to the end of something, and there are certain sports too. And if you've played some golf, and I've played some golf, that I would even add that there is mental and emotional engagement and an anguish. I coach a golf team and I will generally say when my team's playing the best, uh, gentlemen, when, when we are done with this 18 holes, which is a five, five and a half hour round of intense competitive golf, I, I need you to be mentally tired, right? Mentally exhausted as well. Uh, so really it's not even that sort of, um, you know, disengagement. We're just engaging in a new way that maybe we find refreshment uh, in that space. Yeah, I, I, th that makes perfect perfect sense to me uh, as well. Um, it, it's the idea of a different space. I think that that's important to me. It's different from work, and what you do in that in that different space. Um, if it's authentically rest, then it will it will um, allow you to go back into work again, refreshed. Uh, can I show another thought? Um, if we look at Genesis, um, the early chapters of Genesis, we don't find uh, sport or games or play there, but we do find a rhythm of life that's based on a working week. Or sorry, it's based on a seven-day week. So you've got your working week, and then you have your Sabbath rest. And that seems to be a divinely ordained rhythm. Um, but 
there's also something else about the Sabbath that I think is worth bringing in at this point, and that's worship. Because when you cross the threshold into um, the church where you worship on a Sunday morning, you're also moving into a different space. And that's a space for refreshment and rest and renewal uh, in that space. Uh, And I would go a step further for uh, daily devotions, for our daily devotional time. Again, I think you're stepping into a little space there where you're saying, rest of the world, I'm setting you to one side for a while. I'm in a different place here for a while. And this is a place of daily rest in which I'm being built up for all the stuff that's going to come at me for the rest of of today. So in the weekly rhythm of life and in the daily rhythm of life, there's that movement into a different space that will allow God to do something in your life um, that's restful, that will enable you to go back into uh, daily life again. Now, I think there's an issue here with respect to sport and worship because uh, as I alluded to earlier in in the uh, cemetery in the graveyard, there are those who do raise sport to an iconic, or sorry, (laughs) idolatrous position where it becomes an object of worship. And I'm sure you've had in uh, in the States what we've had in the UK from time to time, someone will name their child after the full squad of players (laughs) in, in in a national team. Um, and there was one particularly uh, interesting uh, incident where a, a daughter was named after all the male players uh, on the team. Now, there's just something insane about that. Um, and so sport and idolatry have this awful connection that can sometimes come together. So I I would say worship is the paradigm rest. Worship is how we ought to do rest. Um, And as as Christians, that ought to be where we are. But through common grace, God has given us other ways of resting. And uh, sport would be one of those. Um, I mean, there are are others, the likes of the entertainment industry. Uh, Watching a good movie can be restful. But that's an entirely different conversation, but equally one that ought to be uh, addressed theologically. So in this potentially restful activity, am I, first of all, genuinely being restored for the work to which God has called me? And secondly, am I genuinely able to offer this to the Lord as an act of worship? So in the way that I kick this ball or hit this ball with a club or uh, engage uh, in uh, uh, with my horse jumping over fences? Am I genuinely doing this in a way that I can say, Jesus, this is yours. Enjoy it. Because that's worship. You know, one of the dissonant features, Drew, of American football, especially at the professional level, is that uh, games are on Sundays. And Sundays are traditionally in, in uh, Christianity, the days for worship. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, players have wrestled with that over the years. It seems like there's fewer and fewer who uh, are willing to wrestle with with that potential problem. 
um, in some ways because of what you said. We can we can um, see our even though it is work, you have to show up to the game to play. You have to give it your best, otherwise you're not going to be on the team much longer. And so you know you do that as part of your job. It is work, um, but can be an act of worship. I suppose some would some would would say that justify that possibly. Um, because it's in front of many and it's, it's the platform. It's the biggest platform that an athlete would have someone like Tim Tebow, for instance. And I know the same is the case for, <clears throat> for sport in other nations as well. Professional sport being played on, on Sundays, traditionally a day for worship. <clears throat> and so how would you respond as a practical theologian? If say Tim Tebow were to say, um, my, my football playing is, is an act of worship. Uh, that's what I do to to glorify God, to show my adoration towards God, to praise God. Um, I, I'm curious about your thoughts. If, if that were if that were something that came up, I'm putting words into someone else's mouth. But um, but traditionally, football players in the NFL who have been Christians have sort of said that this is this is it. I I, I can take my Sabbath some other time, but this is in some ways uh, worship for me. There's it's ritual. There's a great deal of meaning structure there. How do you respond? I think, uh, traditionally, theologically, uh, certainly within the Reformed tradition, we've thought of of what we do on Sunday in terms of of work, our legitimate work, if you like, as falling within two categories: works of necessity. So you've got your your medical folk, for example, uh, and works of mercy, where we're doing good things that will enhance other people's lives that are not strictly necessary, but they're just good to do. And it would be within that ladder that I would see the the potential for um, professional sports sports people to to act uh, um, to play their sport on, on a Sunday. But I w- I would qualify that in a couple of ways. The first way I, I would qualify it would be to say, what's it doing to your core worship? What's it doing to the special time that Christians are to give weekly to Jesus? As, as part of the rhythm of the week? Is it guarding that? Is it abusing it? Is it sidelining it? And if it's doing any of those things, then I think there actually is a problem. Um, and the, the second question is, what's it doing to my witness? What do people see? What do people hear? How do people uh, understand Jesus better through what I'm doing? Uh, by my playing sport on uh, on Sunday. Uh, it used to be here in, in Northern Ireland that um, there was very little sport played on Sunday. The Gaelic Athletic Association, which is largely um, associated with um, uh, Irish nationalism and the Catholic Church, regularly played on, on Sunday, but Protestants didn't. That's changed quite a bit, although there's still a lot less played here than, than anywhere else. Ulster Rugby, uh, a few years ago, had a couple of games on a Sunday. And uh, I'm a season ticket holder. I'd be there every Friday night uh, that, that they're playing, uh, shouting at the top of my voice. Um, and so when the Sunday games came along, I did ask a real question. And the conclusion that I came to theologically was that as, as a Christian, theologically, I could justify this as a restful activity. I could go along to it, and I um, because they were taking place late in the afternoon, and I, I had worshipped, I had spent time with the family, and so on and so on, and I could justify it like that. 
But in the end, I didn't go because I wanted to say, it's not legalism that's holding me back from going this, going to this. It's just an opportunity for me to say, Jesus is more important to me than this. Rugby's a big deal for me, but Jesus is a bigger deal. And when folk asked me, did you go, did you not? I'll take the opportunity to say, I could have gone, but I wanted to say something about who I am as a Christian uh, and what Jesus means to me. Therefore, I didn't go. What will happen in the future? Who knows when, if the situation ever arises again. But that'll be the decision. What will this say about my relationship with Jesus, whether I go or not? Hmm. You know, I think um, we have wandered into the sort of conversation on Sabbath keeping and sport, which uh, comes up a lot, but interestingly comes up less here, certainly in the United States, because the argument is is almost past. Um, it's it uh, has arrived in a place. I used to ask my students, um, you know, did you have any Sunday restrictions? You know, if there were Christian students about, you know, you couldn't do this or couldn't do that to try to just generate the conversation. And it used to be, you know, about half the students would describe some of these different things that they could or could not participate in on Sunday. Now I just get blank stares. Uh, I do not uh, get any reaction. What are you talking about? Um, so, uh, but I think it's still on the minds of many Christians, uh, even though, um, practically it's not playing out that way. And, you know, how I answer the question is, is similar. I love your, the, your questions, your additional questions, because it is, it's, it's the practical theology of being presented with a situation. Now, what, how do I deal with this? Um, and, uh, you know, I've kind of borrowed from some others just to talk about it in a quantitative and a qualitative way. You know, you referred to Genesis and in there it's, it's, um, clearly there's a quantitative element. There's six days and a day of rest. Um, in fact, that, that day of rest is the opening of, uh, of the week, right? Uh, the first action is that of rest. Um. And, you know, throughout Scripture, there's a qualitative element that um, worship is throughout your whole life. It is not isolated to this one space or this one time in your life. So there's there's both of those things. And we can kind of go wrong or justify ourselves when there isn't a little bit of both in the way that we approach it. So as Chad was referring to, we almost uh, justify things by saying, well, I'm out worshiping, so therefore I can go see this or participate in that i'm worshiping mm. um and then you mentioned as well on the quantitative side the the danger of the legalism the danger of you know having these really strict rules and having that being perceived uh incorrectly uh as a mode of your witness uh so those are you know some really uh, thought-provoking ways i think uh to sort of re-engage people in this conversation but i I would say that it's largely, largely lost. Um, and um, the, maybe the last part of this, I would, I would just ask you to reflect on. Some things in sport have uh, clearly had detrimental effects in society and had uh, certainly effects on, on a person's faith. Uh, idolatry is only the start. Do you think a Christian gets to a place, and how does, I think, how does a Christian get to a place where they actually do withdraw? 
you know what, this is doing not enough for me, or this is the, this actually, this part of my life, I'm, I'm, I'm not handling well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, they feel compelled to walk away. How does that process go? And, or, or is it never, never appropriate to think in those sorts of terms? Oh, I think it can. Uh, it can certainly be a, a point that, that people come to. Um, I think, I, I, I mean, I would start with where I've already been and ask a, a couple of key questions. What is my interaction with sport doing to that which is central to my life? If sport is not at the center, and for a Christian it can't be at the center, it just can't be. What is sport doing to that which is at the center? And that ought to be my relationship with Jesus. So if I come to the position where I say, you know, my sport is inhibiting my relationship with Jesus, and that could be for a whole host of reasons. It could be because I'm, uh, say, playing sport on a Sunday and not getting time to to actually go and worship with, with the people of God. Or it could be that the influence of my teammates is making my language more, uh, we would say here, colorful, mm-hmm. if I can use that euphemism, uh, than it ought to be. Or there's a certain um, sexualizing of things that's going on uh, in my thinking. And this is disturbing what I am as a Christian. Then that's the time to say, if I can't manage this, then I just have to withdraw. Or it could be a whole host of other things. Am I spending more time on my sport than I am with my wife? Is my sport making me unbearable to live with where, when I'm angry with my children? Or, or it could be my parents, my husband, you know, whatever. So what's it doing to my relationship with Jesus? What's it doing to my relationship with my family? What's it doing to my relationship with people who see me in the sport? Is my witness within the sport still being authentically good? Or is that starting to decay? That'll be an indicator that it's time to to move on. And what's it doing to my witness uh, to speak to people? Sorry. What's it doing to my witness to people who are not involved with my sport? Do people look at me and immediately identify me as a um, such and such a team uh, supporter? Is that how they see me primarily? Well, if that's how people see me primarily, then I think it's time to think about my relationship with my sport and either reconstruct it or, in the last analysis, move away from it. So... I suppose in total, I'm saying, what's the place of sport in my life? Is it actually having a positive effect on who I am as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or is it having a negative effect? And as soon as I see it having a negative effect, then I have to ask serious questions. In practical terms, I would want to get a second opinion because my opinion of myself is not always as accurate as it ought to be. I would want to maybe speak with my pastor about it, speak with my friends about it, speak with my husband, wife, uh, um, children, parents uh, about it, 
ask their opinion. And if they're starting to ask a few questions, well, then maybe it's time for me to to ask questions as well. I mean, I, I think of, of someone I, I know who's into bodybuilding. And uh, I think those who know that that person might be starting to ask questions about the place that it that it has uh, and whether it's being destructive uh, or not. Those are pretty convicting questions and ones we probably don't ask ourselves uh, nearly enough in, in the world of sport, which can be uh, ever-consuming. And so good reminders for us. I, I'm thinking of the ways in which we consume sport as spectators. You've given a great example of yourself with uh, the rugby club you support um, and the Sunday fixtures, not, not going to those. I, I know um, I feel the same way regarding American football and, and the weekends, you know, and, and how much time I'm spending with that and, and how much it, it takes away. I imagine there's an element of American football fans, and, and Brian, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, that might partic- that, that might have a particular idolatry of, say, a Tim Tebow that might be in and of itself uh, unhealthy. Uh, even though one might gravitate towards Tim Tebow um, simply because of the fact that he is a Christian and that they love football and want to be able to combine uh, their faith and their interest in this particular sport. Um, and I, I, I can see that as being potentially uh, problematic. I can also see uh, in some ways, you know, an athlete like Tim Tebow uh, feeling the need to uh, the need to be on a competitive team again, the need to be to feel filled through participation at an elite level in competitive sport. And, and yet there's also the very real possibility that, um, that an athlete like Tim Tebow is trying to make a comeback simply for the joy of the experiences of being there. And it's not something that, that, that has to fill one's soul, that maybe the soul is filled already, but there's an opportunity here to be able to express great joy and one does and have that be, you know, one's work. Um, Brian, are you, are you, are you tracking with that from, from a sort of from an American football perspective? Yeah, I think you're, you're certainly on to it. There would be a number of potential reasons uh, or explanations as to why the, the admiration of Tim Tebow has gone into a wayward space. Um, and partially, uh, maybe even this idea of sort of you know, finally proving that Christianity has this sort of uh, winning potential. Um, you know that that it, in some ways it the, this is our guy, right? It so in some ways it's not so much his football success; it's more of his sports success. I I often you know sometimes I'll ask just students, you know, is it worse if um, if Tim Tebow fails as an athlete, does it hurt you more if he fails as an athlete? Kind of uh, ends up not being, and in, in his case, he didn't. He he wasn't a long-term successful NFL quarterback, or if he has some sort of moral failure, because we have examples of that as well, right? Where we hold an athlete up into in a particular way, and then they have some sort of tragic moral failure that's quite public, and we then uh, sort of deal with that. And, and it's interesting that the types of responses that I'll get. Um, but I do think you're uh, with just like anything else, right? The, the, the thing that we admire most, the thing that we love the most can become, uh, we, we become more like that thing. Um, and uh, it, it can become an, an object of our affection. 
Yeah, you, you used a word um, a couple of seconds ago that I think is an important word, and it's, it's the idea of winning. And uh, sport and winning, you know, obviously go together like a hand and glove. Um, but it seems to me that uh, winning can be uh, given an idolatrous place in, in our lives. And, I mean, I, I wish Tim Tebow all the success uh, as he goes back into um, into football. I hope he does really well. But can I say that if he doesn't, if he fails, he has a fabulous opportunity to say it's not all about winning, that there's something more to it than that, and and to bear witness to Jesus in that in that context, and, and even um, from a sporting point of view, to say sport isn't all about winning. It just isn't. There's much more to it than that. Um, if you think of any any cup competition. Where you start with, um, you know, in some cup competitions, you may start with, with uh, a thousand teams. Only one team ultimately wins. Does that mean that all the rest have failed and and that it hasn't been worth their time uh, taking part? Of course not. There have been hours of enjoyment and so on. Winning's great, but learning how to lose as a disciple of Jesus. I think is is equally important. And again, I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want people to hear me saying, well, as Christians, we shouldn't try too hard and let somebody else win, and, and that'll show how, how wonderfully spiritual we are. I, I don't mean that at all. But I do mean that we should, we have to put winning and losing in, in their proper place. Uh, and if I can take the risk that, that one of you took last week, was it you took uh, last week, Chad? And said, "Let's think about this Christocentrically. Let's think about Jesus in the center of all this. I mean, the, Calvary was a disaster to everybody who looked on. That that was the ultimate defeat. But of course, we know that ultimately it it, it wasn't, uh, and that that God is the God of of creation, who creates good things, who brings life out of death, uh, and so on and so on." Um, and so, as as Tim Tebow goes back into the NFL, I think it would be really important for us to to just follow and support in in whatever way we can what he's doing. Um, but to allow it to go in a whole host of different directions, and still look for what what Jesus is doing in it. I I, I thought about there there may be three people who's whose purpose here is worth thinking about. What's in Tim Tebow's mind? Why is he doing it? What's in Coach Mayer's mind? And why is he doing it? Could he be bringing Tebow back, not as a player, but as an influence in the dressing room, in the changing room, as an influence on the team, whether he plays or not, he'll be good. So what's in Tim Tebow's mind? What's in Coach Mayer's mind? And what's in God's mind? Why is he doing it? The last will unfold gradually, um, but we have to make sure that we don't impose Tim Tebow's logic on God, Coach Mayer's logic on God, the fans of the team's logic uh, on God, or even us as uh, Christians. Why would we do it? None of those might be God's logic.
So we keep an open mind to see what God is doing. And then we think, okay, let's take that forward. Well, I'm going to take another risk and say that uh, this conversation is um, restful and worshipful. Um, it has been uh, a great delight, really, to get to know you, Drew. I can hear in your voice and, and the way that um, you approach each question that there's a pastoral element to everything you do. Um, and we just appreciate you applying that to uh, this this subject, this uh, phenomenon called sport. And uh, it's really helpful for people like us to hear that. I think our listeners will love it. Um, so uh, keep writing reviews and get yourself back on the podcast. That would be fabulous because uh, I really enjoyed this. I just wanted to thank you uh, and invite you back another time. Well, th thank you guys for having me here. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, keep on casting the pod. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com. Sport